Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. You can find out more by visiting lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Pastor Rick Stevens. He is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Les Government. We'll be talking about cryptocurrency and digital property. Michael Mybeck is a distinguished fellow of the Save Our States, important project that we need uh, to know more about. We'll visit with Michael, as well as the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. It is March the 25th, and on this day in 1634, the first colonists to Maryland arrived at St. Clement's Island on Maryland's western shore and found the settlement of St. Mary's. In 1632, King Charles I of England granted a charter to George Calvert, the first Lord Baltimore, yielding him proprietary rights to a region east of the Potomac River in exchange for a share of the income derived from the land. The territory was named Maryland in honor of Henrietta Maria, the queen consort of Charles I. Before settlement began, George Calvert died and was succeeded by his son, Cecilius, who sought to establish Maryland as a haven for Roman Catholics persecuted in England. In March 1634, the first English settlers, a carefully selected group of Catholics and Protestants, arrived at St. Clement's Island aboard the Ark and the Dove, was the name of the ship. Religious conflict was strong in ensuing years, as the American Puritans, growing more numerous in Maryland and supported by Puritans in England, set out to revoke the religious freedoms guaranteed in the founding of the colony. In 1649, Maryland Governor William Stone responded by passing an act ensuring religious liberty and justice to all who believed in Jesus Christ. In 1654, however, the so-called Toleration Act was repealed after Puritans seized control of the colony, leading to a brief civil war that ended with Lord Baltimore losing control of the proprietary rights over Maryland in March 1655. Although the Calverts later regained control of Maryland and anti-Catholic activity persisted until the 19th century when many Catholic immigrants to America chose Baltimore as their home and helped enact laws to protect their free practice of religion. So much back in the day really was trying to protect religious rights and uh, Maryland this place dear to me because it's the place where I grew up. Well, Collier County has ended its months-long fight with a high-profile business owner over violations of its mask order as his popular grocery and retail stores. At a county commission meeting Tuesday, the board voted unanimously to halt its enforcement actions against the Oaks Farms and seed table owner Alfie Oaks smiles to make you think about this, an owner, entrepreneur, and growing uh, community activist. The vote came after the county's lead attorney, Jeffrey Katzlow, said pursuing any fines seemed futile as they have now been forgiven by the governor. A few weeks ago, Governor Ron DeSantis filed an executive order canceling all fines tied to COVID-19-related restrictions adopted by local governments on people and businesses. The order, which took immediate effect, applied to any fines imposed between March the 1st, 2020 and March 10th, 2021. Given this executive order by the governor, in essence, just pardoning all mask ordinance violations statewide, it's my personal opinion that I don't see any purpose in moving forward with the Oaks matter at this point in time, he said. Congratulations, Alfie. I think it's just <laughs> really, if <laughs> going to Oaks Farms... See the table, quite frankly, is uh, just a happy place to go. People are wearing masks. Some people are very concerned, of course. I would guess less than half of the people that go there are wearing masks, but people are just happy there. It's uh, just a great place to be, and it's a great business. He does a fantastic business because he provides a great service and great products. 
Well, a warning to black America, Democrats are dangerous to your health. Here's some findings that make me look twice when I looked at them. While it's true and troubling that minorities have been more adversely affected in terms of death rates and infection rates by COVID than whites, the story hasn't been told is that the Democrat governors have done much worse job in keeping blacks safe and healthy than the red state governors. The racial composition data comes from Atlantic's COVID tracking project through January 2021. Two findings jump out. The first, blacks per 100,000 population were substantially more likely to die from COVID if they resided in a blue state, Democrat governor, than in red states, Republican governor. For example, a black living in Michigan was five times more likely to die of COVID than a black living in West Virginia. Those are startling results. Second, the racial disparity within a state, the death rates for blacks versus whites, has been substantially higher in states with Democratic governors. How much more likely are blacks to die from COVID-19 than whites? This tells us that the uh, black living in New York or Michigan was twice as likely to have died from COVID than, than uh, in these other states. But a black living in, say, Idaho or South Dakota was far less likely to die from COVID than a white. How about those statistics? These are confounding results, given that Democrat governors and state legislators have been much more likely to impose draconian lockdowns on businesses, schools, churches, and parks, and more likely to impose stay-at-home orders. Those apparently have the effect of not reducing the risk of transferring it from whites to blacks. Now it turns out that lockdown governors also did a very poor job of keeping minorities safe. Democrat governors, it's not a good place for uh, people of color to live in those states. Well, the teacher unions are still saying no to kids. Do the teachers union members even want to go back in, in front of a classroom again? Should our government schools simply be closed forever? It's not happening here in Collier County, but these are questions that are being asked, uh, given that the union's latest antics and stall tactics are reopening schools. The science now shows that six-feet distancing rule is discredited. Even the CDC has now renounced its own faulty rule. But you know, now the, now the new rule is three feet, not six feet. But uh, tell that to a teacher's union and bureaucrats who are get, grasping at straws to keep schools closed. Austin Butner, head of the Los Angeles Unified School District, says the recent CDC guideline will not change our current reopening plans. The California Teachers Association called the CDC findings another confusing message that could result in cramming young adults in classrooms, yes, so they can finally learn. <laughs> so, and he goes on, Randy Whitegarden, head of the National American Federation of Teachers, has also chimed in. She's not convinced that the evidence supports changing physical distancing requirements at this time. Now, this is a bureaucrat who's in charge of a teacher's union, and she now is commenting on the science. Instead, she suggests billions in additional funding will be needed for districts that lack the human resources and institutional planning ability to make changes like this quickly. Even after winning the jackpot, nearly $130 billion for government schools in the stimulus bill, the unions are holding out for more money. How do you negotiate with a hostage taker who continually raises the ransom demands? National Review editor Rich Lowry neatly summed up the current union situation. He said, uh, we, had, we said a year ago that if school districts had put tenured teachers on unpaid leave, Rather than keeping them on full salary, the problem of unopened public schools would have been solved months ago. Certainly true. Well, during a press conference this past Monday, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki uh, was asked multiple times about President Joe Biden's border crisis, which really is a crisis. The biggest point push was asking why the administration is spending our taxpayer money to put migrants up in hotels while our National Guard troops were forced to sleep in parking garage while in, the, in Washington, D.C. earlier this year. One of the options that was being reported over the weekend is spending $86 million on hotel rooms for some migrants and feeding them, a reporter uh, pointed out. How do you square that with the National Guard troops who were sleeping in parking garages and some of them got sick from having bad food? That's a disparity of a lot of people being pointed out that have pointed out 
that our National Guard was treated one way, and these illegal immigrants are now going to be put in hotel rooms. Well, first let me just say that at one time when we became aware of the conditions, National Guard troops were in the parking garage. As you noted, the President called the head of the National Guard that day and offered his assistance, offering to play any role that he could play in boosting morale, asking for more aid, making sure they had the right. So she goes on and and, uh, uh, supports the position of the president. And uh, it's all double talk. Uh, She was repeatedly questioned by Fox News' Peter Ducey over Borden's Borden's, uh, border crisis, Biden's border crisis. His first big question pertained to the growing rate of letting adult migrants go without even issuing any notice to appear. Uh, Ducey asked, is the Biden administration uh, policy just becoming more like an honor system? She said, this is an inaccurate depiction of what's happening at the border. It's not inaccurate. It is a border crisis. I think everybody is is suggesting right, that right now. And uh, the response uh, was pretty intense back and forth between Pasaki and Peter Ducey. But the far left, <laughs> far left, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, do you remember how she slammed Trump administration for so-called concentration camps at the southern border? Remember that? Well, I wonder if she's going to go and visit the border right now because she's not going to like what she sees. I doubt seriously, based on her the hypocrisy of the situation, that she'll even make a comment. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Coming up, Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show and the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you New York-style professional theater at its very best and now building a brand-new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. 
Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of a terrific organization, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance are a group of people. We work together. We're just everyday people that care about our children, want our children to have good education opportunities. We try to find options for parents, so when they're looking for ways to improve their child's education, we can help them find them. We work in the legislature to help pass good public policy that will support children learning. We we advocate for parents when they have a problem. We, we do a lot of things, but it's all aimed at helping the kids and helping them have a good education so they can have a good foundation for the rest of their lives. Yeah, great mission, but I'll also point out making great strides in terms of supporting that mission uh, in Tallahassee, working with the Commission of Education, working with the governor, and working with, of course, the state legislature as well. Uh, the uh, I, I'm ho- Maybe you could expand for us a little bit the, the discussion around civics education. The governor's taken a stand about that, which I think is uh, pretty phenomenal. Well, well, he has, and... Um he put that out about a week ago, I think it was a week ago yesterday in Naples, and let people know that, that he intends for Florida to be a leader in civics education so that our education relative to civics will be characterized by excellence and will help students understand the nature of the way our government works. He, he's putting his, his uh, initiative in place with money and rewarding teachers who step up and become qualified. It's just remarkable how the governor, when he decides to do something, he, he steps in and does it. And then the other thing that, that a lot of us were really quite, um, how should I say, encouraged and amazed by was how, how forthright the governor was in saying that some of these theories, I think he called them wacko theories, uh, pop up now and then. And he said they have no place in our Florida schools and taxpayers shouldn't be paying for things like the advancement of critical race theory and Marxism, and those kinds of those kinds of issues, and and some of us we're we're just really glad to hear someone speak up about the things that we see are really damaging to our children, really damaging to the world we live in, and for the governor to come out like that and say, "Look, this stuff has no place in Florida public schools." He's exactly right. We need to teach our children the brilliance of our system and help them understand that if they want to explore some of these other things. They can do that when they go to college, but they shouldn't do it when they're just getting a foundation for understanding how our world is, works and is supposed to work. Absolutely. Uh, uh, based on the governor's proclamation, I'm sure that we're not going to see any 1619 project or <laughs> institutional racism or uh, <laughs> white uh, whatever it is. The, the, uh, these these uh, proclamations and these attitudes uh, that uh, are being taught right now in government and in schools across the nation, quite frankly. So just so grateful for the governor's position on this. Well, that's right. And, and they're working on some civic standards, revising them, and we've been involved in that for a while, giving input to the Florida Department of Education. The uh, deadline has passed. They, we found out they were delayed, but we hope they're delayed because they're making them better all the time. But, but Florida has been working on this for a while. It's not just a response to recent events, but Florida has taken the initiative. Our, our Commissioner of Education, Richard Corcoran, has taken that initiative. And, and I'm confident, just like we put in much better standards to replace Common Core, these look to be, and we haven't seen the final version yet, but they look to be game-changing standards, and they will help the nation understand how to teach children better. Absolutely. Say, so how's the parental rights bill uh, doing? Well, there's some encouraging news on that. The uh, parental rights bill in the Florida House has passed all of its committees and has been referred to the floor for a final vote. So that's really good news. All it requires now is for the Speaker to schedule that floor vote. We expect it will pass without a problem. And we're excited because that is really, really one of the most vital pieces of legislation that's passing through the Florida legislature this year. It gives parents clearly the rights that we all think they should have anyway to determine the course of their child's education, to make the decisions about their medical uh, treatments. All of those kinds of things that we take for granted or we used to take for granted will be put in statute so it's clear to everybody and every state agency that parents are to be respected and trusted 
with the care of their children and expected to do the right things. Right. Well, I would suggest that it really what it does is it codifies the parental rights that already exist. It's not creating new rights. It's simply making clear what the rights are and making sure that those are really boundaries for, uh, for school systems and for, for uh, teachers. Oh, that's right. And, and the other thing that, that's good on the Senate side is uh, Ray Rodriguez has been working on that and, and some other people that, that we have a lot of confidence in. And it's now before the Rules Committee for a final committee evaluation in the Senate. That's the last committee stop in the Senate. And we all know that the Rules Committee is chaired by Senator Pasadomo. So all the people out there that care about parental rights, contact Senator Pasadomo. We have no reason to think she won't schedule it on her committee. We would expect once it's heard at her, on her committee, it will pass and go to the Senate floor. But we don't take anything for granted, and sometimes people just need to know that we're behind them. All right. Well, it's not a question of, of having to convince them. It's a question of saying, hey, we support this, and we want you to know we've got your back. So, well, I'm quite certain that's, it's going to come up, I'm quite certain, in our conversation on on Tuesday. We always have uh, Senator Pasadomo on the show, so it sure. should be interesting. Any comments about the Hope Scholarship? Well, the Hope Scholarship is alive and well and functioning like it's supposed to. I had conversations when I was in Tallahassee last week with the executive in the Department of Education that's responsible for the Hope Scholarship. We had a very good conversation. He gave us some helpful insights on how to help parents when they run into the difficulties with that. And we had a big win last week with a father in another county that his son had gone through several incidents, several Hope Scholarship qualifying incidents, and the school district didn't seem to either understand or know how to respond. We're not sure. But they did issue the, the Hope Scholarship form, and so his son is now enrolled in, in a school that his father was able to choose because there were just some things going on in the school where his son was that, that didn't help him learn. Right. And so that's a great thing. And so parents need to step up and take advantage of that sooner rather than later. I talked to another parent, and I said, if you don't want to use it this year, then now's the time to get qualified for it. If your child is in a bad spot, and this child is, I said, then, then you could consider using it next year, and your child could start fresh in a new school. Yeah. So parents need to understand there are options out there. And uh, again, you, they, it, this, is a, this is a right that parents have. This is not like to, that goes to be considered by a group of people or a committee. Once you declare for a HOPE scholarship, you automatically qualify. So parents, Absolutely. parents need to understand that. Hey, you've got a big event coming up in April. Oh, we do. Talk about giving parents options. That's one of the ideas behind our event on April 17th. We want to encourage people to come and join us for that. You can come to this event for the cost of a Chick-fil-A breakfast without having to wait in line at Chick-fil-A. So, I mean, we've priced this very inexpensively. We've had some generous sponsors, but we're having some great speakers. Rebecca Friedrichs from California, who's been involved in helping children for a long time. She started out as a teacher. Now she's an advocate for things. Alex Newman is going to be here. And our own Erica Donalds. And Erica's been working on a, a brilliant idea that will be potentially a game changer for education in Florida, for, for students and for parents. And I think she's going to talk about that a little bit at that event. Great. April 17th at the Naples Community Church. You can go to our website, goflca.com. Sign up for that. Tickets are available. Very inexpensive. Like I said, we've had generous sponsors. And this is going to be an event that will help parents see they really do have options for their children. And they are accessible, they are affordable, and they can do it. If, if their child needs help, they can be the one to solve the problem. All right. GoFLCA.com is the website. Pastor Rick, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Left's Government. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshire Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I encourage you to check out Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. Go to choicesocial.us to find out more. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Myback. He is a distinguished fellow at the Save Our States. Interesting project. Right now we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, how are you doing? And thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Tell us about less government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and now the three trillion dollar infrastructure plan is going to be five trillion. Yeah. So, so you wrote an interesting column about something I don't know a lot about. It's cryptocurrency and NFTs. Maybe you can tell us about it. You know, it's funny. I I saw the NFT, which is non fungible token story. And I thought, well, look at that. They're protecting uh, intellectual property even in a digital sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I realized, wait a minute, that's exactly what cryptocurrency has been doing for years. Um, for people who don't know, non-fungible token is a, is a relatively new thing. What happened was some guy spent 300 days or 500 days or something, or 300 days during the pandemic, I guess, making a piece of digital art every day. Well, then he put them all together, you know, like, you know, little squares, like a, like a patchwork quilt, made a non-fungible token, meaning it's the original, right? And, and you can even, you know, you can copy the original digitally, just like you can copy songs and stuff like that. But this is digitally stamped as the original. And he sold it online for like 50-some million dollars. My goodness. You must and, be quite and, an artist. And so uh, what... what what immediately leapt to mind was, this is the original. This is the intellectual property being sold for what someone valued it to be. And then I read, you know, and then I, I read that the guy who bought it is a cryptocurrency billionaire. Huh. And he's made billions of dollars in cryptocurrency, which is Bitcoin and, and all these other digital currencies. Um, and, and what they do to protect, you know, it's just like paper money. They, they, crypt, they, they encrypt each dollar so you can't replicate it. You can't counterfeit the digital dollars. Just as if you counterfeit paper money, it devalues all the existing paper money. Uh-huh. Um, as we're seeing now as the federal government's printing press continues to roll into oblivion. Um, and it's that, that smoke you see over D.C. is from the Treasury um, of all the printing presses going insane. Um, but so they digitally encrypt it the way we 
protect our paper money with, you know, goofy pictures and, and special paper and all that. They're doing that digitally now with the cryptocurrency, so you can't replicate it. You can't buy one and then make it a million in one by just digitally duplicating it. Well, that's a protection of intellectual property, too. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was interesting that this, you know, this is the market adjusting of auto-correcting to protect intellectual property in the digital space. Now, remember, when the Internet first started, all the Internet vanguards said, information wants to be free, and, and, and intellectual property is a government monopoly, and it's, it's impeding information from being free. Well, as we see now, if, 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 if the digital economy is going to last, you're going to have to develop ways to protect intellectual property. And the same digital, not maybe not the same people, but the same digital vanguards, the same type of people who 20 years ago on the Internet were saying, information wants to be free, are now encrypting information uh, to protect it from duplication. Well, that's and, so of course, the other non-fungible token NFT story of the week was Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, sold an NFT of his first tweet for like $16 million. Yeah, I saw that. My goodness. And he's going to convert it to Bitcoin, to cryptocurrency, and donate it to Africa. So I thought that was a nice little full circle. He, you know, the, the cryptocurrency guy buys the one NFT. The other guy sells the NFT and converts the cash to cryptocurrency. So we're seeing now that the market, the digital market, is adjusting and protecting intellectual property just as I, I thought it would and should. So in your opinion, then, on these cryptocurrencies, they're, they're legitimate. They're, they're for real. I'm not entirely sure. I will say this. The guy who sold the artwork for $67 million thinks it's pretty real. And yeah, I would say I would say more that the guy that bought it it thinks it's pretty pretty real. Well, he no, he you know, he's a billionaire off of it. Yeah. It's, it's he's a, he, he made his he made his billions off of cryptocurrency. Well, my you so know, I don't know. I don't you know, it could be a long bubble. There have been long bubbles before. I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, it could be also that this might be the best measure of inflation uh, uh, that we could see because of the, the limited number. There's only so much gold to, and silver to buy. That's right. And uh, and quite frankly, the way the printing presses are working in in uh, Washington, D.C., the Treasury, as you pointed out, my goodness, we, we should have massive inflation. I don't know when it's going to be coming. I have a buddy of mine who got me to go solo professionally 11 years ago. He, he lives in Panama, and his entire retirement account is real estate, gold, and cryptocurrency so yes well, that's pretty wild unbelievable again seat motley the founder and president of less government you can find out more by visiting lessgovernment.org lessgovernment.org seaton as always i find your comments so interesting and uh, the commentaries it was really interesting thank you so much for joining us here on the show thank you sir my pleasure indeed all right coming up we're going to be visiting with michael myback now, he is Distinguished Fellow at Save Our States. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too.
You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now, we have with us Michael Myback. He is a distinguished fellow with Save Our States. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, sir. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Michael. Tell us about Save Our States. Save Our States was started in 2009 by a fellow named Trent England, who is our executive director. Uh, there are five of us on the team. It's a very small focus group. We defend the Electoral College, specifically against the National Popular Vote Compact, which has now been enacted into law in 15 states in the District of Columbia. Hmm. So that's now. Tell us what is the threat to the electoral college of this particular movement? Well, it takes thirty-eight states to amend the constitution, and the left, the progressive left, as they they call themselves, um, could never get thirty-eight states to abolish the electoral college. Uh, it's been tried in the nineteen seventies twice, etc., and so they um, came up with a scheme to go around the uh, amendment process in a state compact. And it's called the National Popular Vote Compact. What it says is uh, legislatures that passed this say that no matter how the voters of our state vote, our electors, presidential electors, shall vote with the national popular vote. So if you're in Virginia and you vote for, let's say, a Republican, but Californians and New Yorkers, et cetera, have given more popular votes to the Democrat. The electors in Virginia would be told by the legislature, you must vote in effect with the majorities in other states, not in this state. It's quite stunning. And also, because of the compact clause of the Constitution, uh, such state compacts must be uh, approved by the Congress uh, before being viable, and it's never been uh, considered by the Congress. So it's, um, it's an unconstitutional amendment to the Constitution, and it's an unconstitutional compact, but that does not stop the millions of dollars going into changing this coming out of mostly California. As you can imagine, a large populous states like California, probably New York, Illinois, you can go down the list, the ones that especially the blue states probably would like to have their way when it comes to getting rid of the Electoral College. So, I mean, is this, uh, is this actually getting traction? Well, they've accumulated since 2007 when they were launched uh, by a very wealthy fellow in California who was disappointed that Mr. Gore was not elected president. As you know, we had the, the Supreme Court case uh, related to Florida. Right. Um, uh, they have accumulated 196 electoral votes. They need 270 to have the legislation trigger into action. So it's a compact that's waiting to happen if they get 270 electoral votes. So that's just, depending on the state, five to eight more states, and they will reach the critical mass for the next presidential election. Uh, so it is quite a threat, uh, not so much that... In the end, it, it might um, uh, be found constitutional. I don't think the court would find it constitutional, the Supreme Court, but who knows. But that we would have a constitutional crisis where we would have states 
going against their own people uh, to demand the electors vote a different way. It's it's really quite a um, uh, sort of a dastardly scheme yeah. to circumvent our Constitution. It would just be hard to believe that somebody from South, uh, uh, the, the legislature in South Dakota or uh, Nebraska or Colorado, some of these uh, less populous states would go along with something like this. Um, it, I'm sure there's got to be resistance to it. Well, <laughs> Delaware has enacted this. Delaware has a million people. Uh, Los Angeles County has more people than 41 states, and yet uh, the people, of the, the, the legislature of California and the legislature of Delaware have agreed to this. Mm. Uh, uh, last year, it passed the Senate in Maine, but was defeated by a few votes in the House in, in the state of Maine um, because some Democrats crossed over. In this year and last year, the Virginia House of Delegates passed the compact, but by a few Democratic votes in the state Senate, it was defeated. So um, <laughs> it is, uh, they have so many dollars involved and so many uh, lobbyists involved in this. They take state legislators on trips with their families to Caribbean islands oh to God. talk them into this uh, scheme, etc. It's um, it is a significant threat. That's why we started two years after this compact began. Uh, uh, well, thank you for your efforts and for what you're working to do. Uh, are, are any states right now considering? Is it on the? Uh, 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 any possibility that we could get to the floor and have a vote for uh, for this uh, compact? So the state the state of Maine has three legislators who say that they will introduce this bill this session, and this session is just beginning in Maine and goes for the next two or three months. Uh, at least theoretically, we'll see how long they are in session in times of COVID because they have to meet uh, in the convention center, uh, which is very expensive in Maine. But the targeted states of the NPV compact currently are, for the next two years, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Maine, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, and Arizona. That's where they have their sites set mm. right now. Larger population st states and states that have mixed uh, party systems, uh, they've already gotten all the 100% blue states, uh, just about, they, um, except for Virginia. Uh, so every state that's enacted this had a Democrat House, Democrats a Senate, and a governor. Uh, they have never passed it in a mixed legislative uh, situation. Now, this is scary stuff. But just to reiterate, though, if they do actually get to 270 electoral votes, uh, it's, it's still, do I understand correctly, it still has to be approved by the United States uh, Congress? Well, <laughs> that will be tested because... Uh, because they've never even had a hearing on it. It's not before the, the Congress. But remember, if they get rid of the U.S. Senate filibuster, then this is the kind of thing that might be pushed through. As you can see, the Democratic Party uh, is trying, uh, during this time when they have um, this tendential control of the Senate, the House, and the White House, to do all kinds of things. You know, $1.9 trillion recently. Now they're talking about $3 trillion. Maybe statehood for the District of Columbia or Puerto Rico, on and on. So um, uh, if, if the filibuster holds, then the Congress will never pass this compact, and they will have a constitutional problem. This is one of the reasons why they're talking about packing the Supreme Court, because, because they think that the conservatives on the Supreme Court would not accept this is, in effect, amending the Constitution without having 38 states vote on this or having the Congress enact anything. It's, it's quite cynical, but um, the, as we know historically throughout human history, the desire for majority tyranny is yeah. always alive, unfortunately. So, Michael, I appreciate your efforts on this behalf. Uh, you do have a website. Uh, I encourage our visit our listeners to go to saveourstates.com is, is the name of the website, saveourstates.com. Yes, how, how can we support your efforts? Well, we welcome private contributions from family foundations, from individuals. Um, we don't get any government money, of course, and we just have, there's just five of us working on this, so it's a big country. Um, 
and uh, people can write their state legislators um, if they're in some of the states that I uh, mentioned uh, and um, uh, watch this space. We have a Facebook page as well as a website. We have lots of resources, essays, videos. We will post this ra radio interview on our website. Uh, we have a scholars council, a policy council. But if they li people live in, in, uh, in any state that hasn't enacted this yet, um, uh, they, uh, they are welcome to uh, contact their legislators and their governor. By the way, two years ago, the Nevada legislature passed this, and the Democratic governor of Nevada vetoed it yeah. uh, to the surprise of his party because he said, you know, presidential candidates will not visit us if we if we enact this thing they will go to los angeles we have um, nine states have 50 percent of the u.s population yeah a national popular vote would mean um the end of the two-party system we'd have very wealthy people running for president who are billionaires just fly from large metro area to metro area the the farm states would become serfs and the cities would rule even though the cities don't feed themselves and this would be a bigger crisis than presidential elections. This would be uh, a crisis of succession if states feel that the large cities are controlling every election yeah. going forward. Uh, you're doing God's work. Michael Maybeck, again, distinguished fellow with Save Our States. I encourage you to visit saveourstates.com. Take a look at the website. Do make a contribution if you're able to because, again, uh, this is so important. We have to be able to sustain the electoral college it's in the constitution but a lot of folks want to and, do and away Bob, with it. can i just mention sure um we have a travel budget we don't charge for speeches i go all over the country and give speeches on this topic and we will do that to your civic group to the schools last year i gave uh, about 35 talks to schools and to civic groups and this year alone i've done nine of them so we're constantly speaking to groups we're happy to to come to your community uh, here in Florida or in uh, any really any state, we have people around the country that give this speech. Uh, good to know. And again, you can uh, just go to uh, SaveOurStates.com's website. You'll find an opportunity to uh, sign up for that. Uh, Michael, I just genuinely appreciate the work that you're doing and appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for yes, joining sir. us. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for your vocation. Appreciate it. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. <laughs> 
And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. They create policies and programs, among other things, to help get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's not really in, in lineman administration right now, but nevertheless, important work indeed. You can find out more by visiting thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob. It's my pleasure on this warm Thursday morning. I, I think our are gone, so... I don't know. Um, hopefully it wasn't the last one, but they said we're going to get near record 90 degree temperatures over the weekend. I didn't realize that. I'm looking at that right, right now. It looks like it's raining outside. Yeah, you know what? It looks like it wants to rain here, so uh, who knows? But um, anyway, hey, we're in Naples, so That's it doesn't right. make any difference. Uh, right? We are so fortunate indeed. So uh, any good scoop in the city? Well, tonight is <laughs> tonight is the big meeting that need not be and um i i uh there the the council is having a meeting tonight um on the beach club um and on the golf course and and other things that seem to have bothered them that residents are squawking about big time and um so they're gonna let the athens group speak for 15 minutes why i have i have no idea because i really don't have anything to say Everything is pretty well done, yeah. and um, uh, they're going to try and get all these people that, that are going to come down, and I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of people uh, at City Hall, and, and that, to me, was absolutely absurd. But, of course, Heitman, Mayor Heitman, excuse me, had to have this meeting. It was important and whatever. Um, it makes absolutely, literally no sense, Bob. Uh, the Athens group is doing their own presentations with community groups, with each property owners association, answering questions. Um, what's written in stone is written in stone. I mean, that was a done deal. Now they're squawking. We want to get rid of the Athens group. We want to guarantee there's a golf course there. We want this. We want that. Well, guys, you're a little late. Okay. I think that train left the station or the horses out of the barn or whatever it is. Yeah, right. So, right. So I mean, uh, what there's it, nothing. Nothing can come out of this. I mean, I haven't all decisions have been made at this point, haven't they? And they, there's signed contracts. Pretty much, Bob, and the the city attorney gave a very very stern warning to the council members a week ago, saying, you know, you better be really careful. I mean, somebody's going to ask you a, a pointed question, and you better be careful how you answer it if you answer it at all, because you know the things that are that are done already. Um, you're going to be subject to 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 a, a, a major lawsuit if if they if someone gives a wrong answer there um, because they they they've got the contracts already and and they're ready to go. Yeah. So um, I don't know what else can be accomplished. They're going to try and answer citizens' questions. Well, that's what the Athens Group has been doing. But I guess they the the, the mayor Heitman decides that she that that. That council should be involved in this. Well, council really shouldn't be involved in this. It's only in my opinion, Bob. Yeah. But um, so it should be very interesting. Where they're going to put these people, I have no idea. Um, but uh, it'll it'll be interesting, and I think that starts at at six o'clock tonight. Wow, interesting. So, so uh, again, <laughs> it's hard to explain why this is all going on. But any other good scoop in the city? Well, um, you know, see, I'll tell you one thing. Um, we've been down on, on 5th the last uh, week a couple of times, um, and uh, I'm on, boy, oh, boy, Bob, we talk about mid, you know, big season. I mean, restaurants are just booming, people walking the street. Um, you, you, you'd never know there was a pandemic, I can tell you that. Um, and yet the paper, the newspaper yesterday, the headline was um, – Something about that we're twenty percent down in in tourism yeah. or what have you, but we don't see it here. But I'm sure they're talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, the whole county and everything else. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think the city of Naples sees it. Neither do I. And it's kind of you're reminding me, of course, that uh, right now they've got a curfew in Miami because of the <laughs> young, yeah. young people yeah. coming down and apparently just being a little bit out of control. So uh, yeah. A little bit um, is a um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think they were a lot out of control. And um, that curfew was um, put in from, what, I think 8, 8 p.m. at night till I don't know what time in the morning. But um, uh, I think that probably a lot of them went home because uh, it, it put a damper on their, uh, on their um, affairs. But, you know, um, I... Th- you know, people were saying, well, there won't be any spring breaks this year because of the pandemic. Well, I don't think anything could be further from the truth. And are we seeing any of those young people over here on this coast? No. No, I mean, uh, we have heard nothing. And I haven't seen any. Of course, they wouldn't have any place to stay would be openers. Yeah, that's interesting. Because pretty much all of our things are, are book solid. Wow, that's you interesting. Know? Um, and um, no, they, <coughs> excuse me, Bob, they <clears throat> Sorry. Mm, no worries. <laughs> they, did, <clears throat> they didn't make the uh, journey over here, so um, I, I'm. Uh, I don't think you're going to see any either. Pretty. I think pretty much the spring breaks are over now. Anyway. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting to see how the uh, number of cases of COVID has dissipated at this point. Uh, right now, I think there's as uh, 44 people with COVID-related illnesses in the hospital. So that's way down from a number of up, way over 100. So, yeah. oh. so what are your thoughts about this? I think most, I think even if right now, my opinion, if right now if the CDC said, you know what, it's over. Don't uh, you don't need to worry about it? Just uh, go about your life as as normal. I think most people would continue to wear masks. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I think they would too, um, for 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 a certain period of time. But you know, there's they're talking about the states that are increasing in COVID these days. There's quite a few states that are doing that. Mm. But they they said the vaccine <clears throat> the vaccines are really really taking effect. I mean, there we have vaccinated more people in our country than anywhere else right and um now it looks like they are so ramped up that um it sounds like everybody can get one by may and so i i'd like to see this herd the the um the herd immunity but i worry about that because there are such a big percentage of people that are not that refuse to get the shots and i think I think that's, you know, listen, that's their right and whatever, but I just don't think that's a good decision. Yeah, right. Well, you know what? There's a, there are some choices. I mean, there's different types of uh, AstraZeneca now has this new uh, uh, vaccine, apparently, that's 74% effective. I mean, I just, 76, yeah, 76%. 76%. So, I mean, there's some choices. I just don't. How do you go? How did you go about choosing which? Did you take Pfizer? <laughs> listen. I took whatever we got, and I think it was Moderna. Moderna, okay. I mean, okay. they offered it. I'm taking it. It's not, I, I didn't have to think twice about it. Um, and we're, we're almost three weeks into after our second shots already. So it just it's kind of a, a, a peace of mind thing, um, at least for, for myself and for Chris. Um, I don't know how other, other people feel about it, but I'll tell you what. Um, you choose not to, of course, you're taking the risk of... of catching COVID and, uh, you know, the consequences. So I, um, I, and, and as you said with AstraZeneca, and then I heard there's a, another new one that, um, that might be given approval. I mean, so it's not going to be a lack of vaccine. You no, know what I mean, no, it's certainly not. And of course we're down to age 50, I guess now in Florida for people being able to get the vaccine. I think, uh, right. the soon, I think it, it won't be another month until people are able to get it at the local pharmacy any day they want it. So, uh, yeah, because uh, our demand is quickly be- being filled. Bill Barnett, again, our former mayor of Naples. I just gen- had so much other things I-, I wanted to talk to you about, but we're out of time. But I appreciate well, save it for next week, Bob, and take care of yourself. All right, thanks so much for joining us, Bill. Bye, Bob. All right, goodbye, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow uh, we're going to visit with William. Yateman, he is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Michael Cannon, who's a uh, director of health studies at the Cato Institute. We'll also uh, visit uh, with Robert uh, Chatfield. Uh, Robert is the CEO of uh, Free to Choose Network. They put out a new documentary on Thomas Sewell, which is so interesting. 
Uh, we'll also visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. If you'd like to be on the newsletter distribution, again, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>